0: I do want to make a mention, um, sorry Tony or Brandon, um, uh, that there are notes in the back, uh, not only in the, in the uh, bulletin, but there are also notes for uh, any of the kids, anybody that wants to follow along, uh, and there should be clipboards back there, make it a little bit easier to follow along. Um, So we'll be in 1 John again, so if you have a Bible there in front of you, you can go ahead and pick that up. Uh, We'll be in 1 John chapter 1, or actually actually chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, and we'll be covering down to verse 6 today from verse 3. So we'll be 1 John 2, 3 through 6, and I'll just read it. And by this we know that we have come to know him, God, your word is truth. I'm reminded of what Isaiah says when he says that the flower withers and the grass fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And Lord, today as we look at the invitation that it is to examine our lives so that we may be assured that we know you, God, give us the grace we need. Give us the the joy, Holy Spirit, of our salvation. Lord, as we see how assured we are that we know you, and Lord, out of that, may we love you more deeply, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your if have your, your Bible still open, I hope you do. Um, so I just want to do like a quick overview of where we've been. So the first four verses, there should be like a section in your Bible, uh, that, that first section we've, we've covered uh, was talking about who Jesus is, what Jesus was like. Uh, the next section went on, and we looked at, so, so we looked at a couple tests. The first test was the right Jesus test. That first section was about who Jesus really is. Then if you look down in your Bible, you can see verses uh, 5 down through uh, verse 2 of chapter 2. What we see is there's another test that John gives us, which, which is the confession test. And the last couple of weeks, we've been looking more like in a negative sense. Well, John John has been looking more in a negative sense, uh, focusing more on sin and how we should respond to sin in our lives. But this week, he he's kind of turning a corner a little bit, and rather than talking about something so negative, he starts to focus on positive things. So supposedly positive things, but it's it's more of the obligation for the Christian. So starting in verse three, and some. For some reason like the ESV and a couple other versions they don 't show this as a section break, but clearly like there is a section break and you'll you'll see it today I hope um, but we 're going to look today at the moral test so like I said, the book of first John is like John bringing in multiple instruments to test our health, and today we 're looking at the moral test but but before we start looking at the moral test i want to I want to address maybe an underlying lie we potentially will believe, something that's going to honestly hinder us from hearing the message today. And it's this, it's a secular lie that says that there's a sacred part of our life and a secular part of our life. It says this, it's a giant obstacle and it says, it sounds something like this, it's okay to believe what you want on Sunday, but it shouldn't affect the rest of your week in any meaningful way. It's a, it's a lie that secularism has, has brought, and we are so inculcated with it. You know, even just recently, we, were at, we went to the, to the mosque in Morgantown, and I was sitting there talking with the guys, and uh, we, were, we were discussing and going back and forth, and I even caught this lie in myself. It's very easy to catch, because it, what it says is we're neutral, that every person you talk to is neutral. We can just neutrally walk into the conversation, and nobody has any sways any certain way. And that's just not true. It sounds like this. It says, well, why can't you just be neutral? Keep your religious ideas to yourself. This lie is so toxic because it fundamentally goes against the witness of the New Testament. I think we know that, but it's manifested in many different ways. That The lie has an ability. It says that it thinks, or the lie wants, to, wants you to believe that people are just neutral and objective like we somehow have an ability to be neutral and objective. Because the reality is, is, we're all theologians. It's just, what kind of theologian are you? But the second way that that lie kind of hits us is what I want to address today. It's, it's, the, it's the same lie, but it comes at us in a different way. And it says this, it says, I'm a Christian in my belief system, but I lie on my time card at work. Or I'm a Christian in my belief system, but, but I refuse to walk in love with my neighbor. And John is showing us that's just not, there, there are not any ways we can do that. There's no boxes we can put Jesus into. It's like, oh, this is my Jesus box over here, and then this is the rest of my weak box over here. So, so John, even, even he, 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 written however many thousand years ago, literally is addressing us today in this secular society we live. And if, if you're reading from the NKJV, this is what it says in verse 3. We'll just go back through it. Now by this we know that we know him. Okay, that doesn't really make any sense. He's saying, by this we know that we know him. It's just the same thing over and over again. It seems kind of redundant, but I think the ESV helpfully sees it, sees it just a little better. It says, and by this we know that we have come to know him. So the knowing that John's wanting us to see is a present knowing that's about a past reality. So it's, it's like saying, and by this we know there's a present reality that we have come to know him in the past. If you're taking notes today, you can see that the assurance that comes from testing—that's what we're going to be looking at. The assurance that comes from testing, and even as I was thinking about writing this up, uh, there's a joke within my family, well, at least within my brother. Uh, that my—we come from a family of farmers. That sometimes what we'll do is we'll like we'll test like a tractor. We'll go out and like I don't know. I always see, we always used to see it on the farm when we would like poke holes. To see where like the rust spots were, and my dad would always be like, "Oh, don't do that! Don't do that!" Because what we would do, what we would do is we'd poke holes to see how how what the integrity was of it. And what we would do is we'd poke holes actually where the where the rust spots were so thin. And my dad would be like, "Don't don't do that!" And I'd always joke, I'm like, "The holes are there. <laughs> we just need to like us poking through them are not making the holes. The holes were already present. We're just making them revealed." And that's really what John's talking about today. He's, he's pressing us on that, on that spot that, that maybe is a little rusty that we're like, oh, don't, don't press that. And he does so for this reason, that you should test your life so that you can be assured that you know him. You should test your life so that you can be assured that you know him. He says, and by this we know that we have come to know him. We know that we know him. So the question is, how do you know that you know him? I know that sounds really redundant, but I think it's helpful as we think about it. How do you know that you know him? How does a person know that they have become a Christian? How does a person come to be assured that they're actually a follower of Jesus? These are extremely important questions to ask. Before we answer it, we need to understand the word know a little bit better. The word know is used in 1 John 40 times. It's used 40 times in a short letter. It's used four times just in this short passage. Look down with me from verses three to six. And by this, we know that we have come to know him. Whoever says, I know him. By this, we may know that we are in him. Three, four times he uses that same word. When he uses the word knowing, he doesn't simply mean just understanding some specific truths. One definition said of knowing, a familiarity... Acquired through experience or association with persons or a thing. In the West, we have made the word knowing so academic. It's, and again, I'm not trying to just criticize the word knowing or the academic West. I'm not doing any of that. But we, when we have in our brain just hearing information, processing in the information, we would say, well, we know it then. We know the information, right? But in John's day, he's not saying that. See, in John's day, the Gnostics had great confidence in human reason. They they believed that they could come to an accurate knowledge of all things, including God himself. This means means that they believed they could come to know God through a process of reasoning intellectually. And it's really not much different than our day, because every single person, at least least under the age of 30, if you'd say to them, hey, you have a problem in your life, you know what they would say to you? you have YouTube? Give me YouTube in 20 minutes and I'll figure it out. And in some ways, they're right. Like In some ways, we have so much knowledge in our society that we forget what actual knowledge here in the New Testament means. And for knowledge here for John is more than just intellectually, yes, I know that to be true. John is showing us today, he's linking up that unless your life is evidence of it, you really don't know it you really don't know it. To know something here is far more different than just our understanding of the mind. There's an experiential, there's an intimate understanding far beyond our simple cognition. So how do you know that you know? The better question we should start with is, what are we to know? Or maybe, who are we to know? We are first. And foremost, I know this is going to be sound like the most Sunday school answer you ever heard. We are first and foremost to know Him. That is Jesus Christ. Now, when I say that, we're not just supposed to know some facts about Jesus. He was born of a virgin in Bethlehem. He is our advocate in heaven. He's our propitiation. We can we can know all those kind of truths. We can stack them all up, and we can rejoice in them. These are wonderful truths, but just knowing about them is not enough. We have to know him. We don't, we are, we're Christians, which means that we have all this doctrine, all this good truth. But the doctrine is not just truth. They're a person. Listen to what Jesus addresses. He addresses three people in the Gospels in this way. He first addresses the person in Matthew 7 like we saw last week. And he says this, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Do You see the connection even there. And then he goes and he says to the, to the ten virgins, there's a parable of the ten virgins, and he says, truly I say to you, I don't know you. Or maybe to the ones, the one with the narrow door, he says, I tell you, I don't know where you've come from. Depart from me, you workers of evil. See the connection between knowing and doing, even in the Lord Jesus, what he's saying. And Paul, what he asks the Galatians, very simply, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved by to those that by nature were not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? And the question, the test for today is so simple. It's do you know him? And when I say that test, I know. The first knee-jerk reaction we're going to have is, of course, of course I know him. Don't, Don't test me on it. But I just want to say, here's what, here's what John's putting forward to us. He's saying, as you test yourself to see if you know him, what you will have is more joy. It's as you see the integrity, oh look, my life has been transformed. You will see, I'm really a Christian. Look at the glory that's coming for me in knowing the Son. And this is what's being extended to us. And he deliberately, John deliberately puts this as a conditional statement in verse 3. He says, and by this we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now, like we've seen before, John gives us a test so that we really know him. This is not unlike the New Testament. The New Testament everywhere, like we read this morning in 2 Corinthians 13, Paul even says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize, this is about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? He's even, he's even offering Jesus Christ in you, unless indeed you feed the, fail to meet the test. So don't be fearful. As, as we think about testing this morning, don't be fearful of like saying, well, what if I find there is holes? What if I find I don't know him? It's good to know. <laughs> it's good to know so that you may not be deceived. So we're going to look at the test failed. John gives us, that's the next section we're going to look at. It's the test failed. If you're taking notes in front of you it should be the test failed this is what he says in verse 4 he says whoever says i know him does not keep but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him the t- the test failed could most simply be and i think this is on your notes if it's not you can write it down it's profession without obedience it's profession without obedience And as you're you're writing that down, I'll just give you a little more context. He says, says, whoever says, I know him. Basically what this person is saying is he's saying, I have come to know him. Of course, I have come to know the Lord Jesus. But then you look at his life, and his life is he does not keep the commandments, and he's a liar. And this has been the failure of many people within our lives. They profess to know God, they profess to have relationship with God, but they're deceived. I was just listening to a country song even this week. Sometimes I listen I listen to country songs for the purpose of understanding people's theology. <laughs> but I love it, and I love the tune. But there's a song, there's a song that has bothered me. Every time I hear it, it bothers me. Because the song is based around, he wants to go fishing on a Sunday morning. I was going to keep the lyrics in here, but they're, they're super lame, so I didn't put the lyrics in here. But he basically says, the whole purpose of the song is he's saying, I didn't come to church this morning because I wanted to go have a conversation with God out on a boat, with myself alone. And the whole, the whole the conversation, he's basically saying like, yeah, I know God. I know God, of course. But then literally there's one point where he says in the song, but I don't want to know the people there. And I chuckle to myself. I almost like laugh as I hear that because I'm like, this is First this is, like, John. Like you are doing the thing right now. Where it's like this, it's like a child who needs to clean their room. Picture a mother or a father, maybe you're a mother or a father, and you're thinking about a time that you used to tell your kids to clean their room. But the child's, the child's response is, I'll get to it, I'm busy singing, maybe they say. The mother warns the child, they say, clean your room, clean your room. And you come in to listen to what the child's singing, and they're singing, Jesus loves me this side." And you might be like, your heart would be like, oh, listen to that song. But the song, though they're confessing, Jesus loves me, this I know, the profession of their life is contradictory to the, to the obedience. Do you see how that would work? Just something so simple as that. Or maybe to use an example in, in Scripture, we see Jesus say in John 10 that his sheep hear his voice. They listen to his voice. So if you picture with me this, this flock of sheep, and here then you see one sheep just, just running off, through the caverns, not ever listening to the shepherd, never comes and stays in the sheepfold, but he's running around all day, I'm a sheep, bah, look look at me, I'm a sheep. What would we say to him? You're sure not listening to the shepherd, sheep. You're not listening to the shepherd. So look how much of a sheep I am. Are you listening? So you should test your life so that you can be assured that you know him and not be deceived. So here's the claim. Let's look at the claim in verse 4. Here's the claim. I have come to know him. The claim is that this person has come to know the Lord Jesus. He says, for whoever says, I know him, or I've come to know him. But then he gives the reality. Here's the reality. He does not keep the commandments. And this should make us sad. As we hear this, this shouldn't just, I know, sometimes I, I tell examples that are joking and whatnot, but this really is a sad reality. Because here's one who's saying, I have come to know him, and he doesn't keep the commandments. And we looked at it last week, but I want to go back to it. Matthew 7, Jesus says in verse 21, listen to, listen to even the distinction he makes. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Here's the contradiction. But the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Do you see the difference? So it's not the one who just says, Lord, Lord, I'm a sheep, I'm a Christian. It's not that one. He says it's the one who does the will of my Father. And what's the will of his Father? The revealed will of God in in his word, in his scriptures. Even Jesus is saying that the one who knows me is not the one who will enter, it will be the one who does the will of his Father. But let's be clear. He says, for whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments. So what is is John here talking about when he talks about commandments? I think what he's talking about here is very simple. It's the same thing as the will of my Father. The commandments that John is referencing is the word of God that we have in our hands. God's revealed will expressed in the scriptures. In John 12, Jesus says this about his own activity, his own words. He says, for I have not spoken to you of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So we don't follow commandments on our own in that way. We follow the commandments that are given from the scriptures. And Jesus is expressing here that he's done nothing. Even the Lord Jesus himself has done nothing on his own authority. He's speaking as one who's directed what to speak. He's speaking the authoritative word on behalf of the Godhead. Even in his own day, people recognize the authority by which he speak, spoke. Mark 1, says this, is that they were amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this, a new teaching with authority? They even recognized the authority. But for John, what, he, what, what they mean by commandments is the authoritative word of God. Well, then I wonder, you're probably wondering, okay, so whoever says I know him but does not keep, what's it mean? So that's the commandments aspect. Let's look at that word keep. What does that mean? For John, keeping is more than just words. It's more than just a profession of faith. It's more than just confession. For John, keep is what it means is to persist in obedience or to pay attention to the commandments that have been spoken. This is not just passively hearing, but it's an active action. So what, Daniel, you're saying we have works-based salvation? Is that what you're saying? I need to do good things? No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. But the fruit of your life shows that you are a doer of the word and not a hearer only. You know, James gives a really good example. He, he, he really comes with this as well. He gives the same thing that John is giving. James is saying in, in James 1, he says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Which hearers only, that could be the best definition ever we have for knowing in the West. So it's not just hearers only. He says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. James is saying that hearers would be much like what we understand of the, in the West, as what knowing or acknowledging. And you know what he says about this person? He says, that person is like a man who looks in a mirror at himself. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer only, he is like a man who looks intently at his, himself, at his natural face in a mirror. Just picture this. A man walking into the bathroom, there he is, looking at himself, grooming himself up, popping the zit he has, whatever, all the things he's got going on. And this is what he says, but immediately he walks away and he forgets what he looks like. That's the person who knows, who knows up here, but his heart and his hands are so disconnected from them that he's not walking in obedience. James tells us that this man studies really hard to remember his face, and the moment he walks away, he forgets. So you should test your life so that you can see you're not just a hearer only, but you're also a doer. Because here's the evaluation for John. This is what he says of the person in verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, I've come to know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. You're probably sitting there wondering, well, didn't we just hear John say that? Yeah, we did. In verse chapter 1 of verse 8. He says that the one who says he's not sinned is also a liar and the truth is not in him. But here he also says that the one who says and doesn't do is a liar as well. His life tells a truer story. This is why this, this concept of sacred and secular cannot go together. We cannot be a people that say, well, this is my Jesus time, this is my Jesus box that I have over here, and I'm just supposed to keep him over there. Because here's the thing, the secular world you live in, here's, here's the truth. The secular world we live in will be just fine and dandy if we keep Jesus in a little box over here. But the moment that this Jesus that we see, this Jesus on his throne starts to affect us in the daily life, we start, to, we start to speak, we start to walk in such a way, people will hate it. And you might be like, well, no, people won't hate it. No, they will hate it. Trust me. <laughs> Try it. Be more public with, with what you're doing, with what you mean as your reflection of Jesus in your daily life, and you will see how much people hate it. And if they don't hate it, they'll just scowl at you. His life tells the truer story, and it's a test failed. He fails the test because he fails to keep the commandments. And ultimately, he fails to do what Jesus says in John fifteen ten. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. What Jesus is saying is not, not that we keep the commandments to love him. Or not, not to, to gain his love. It's the other way around. We love him by keeping his commandments. What could be said of this man is that he does not actually love Jesus because the direction of his life is heading away from Christ. But now let's look at the test passed. So that's the, that's the test failed. Let's look at the test passed. Starting in verse 5, he says, jump back to verse 4, it'll make, it'll make more sense. Whoever says, I know him, I've come to know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But, contradiction, here it is, or not contradiction, but the other the other side. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Now, I want to be, want to be honest about this. The love of God being perfected, and I might lose some of you on this, I'm sorry if I do. <laughs> the The love of God being perfected, I have not come to a great place on what exactly that means. It means one of two things, I'll just give you both views. <laughs> So it either means one of two things, and I think they both jive in Scripture, but I'm not exactly sure which one this passage teaches. Is It either means it's either God's love for us being perfected, which means that the propitiation that he talked about earlier, it means it's come, become effective. Okay? So it's either God's love for us, or it's either our love for God. And if it's our love for God, both are taught in Scripture. Okay? And I think I'm going to land in somewhere in the middle, which sounds like this. Our love for God, or God's love for us that produces love for him, that produces love for other people. So here's, here's the test. Maybe that didn't make any sense. am sorry if it didn't. But I want you to see the test passed. He says, but whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God, truly the love of God is perfected. Here's what you should know. You should test your life so that you can be assured that you know him and walk in his ways. This is how you know. How do you know that you know? This is how you know. You know you love God. You know you love, you, you know because you love what God loves. The love which comes from the Father and flows through you to one another. It's simply this. The test pass is simply this. Obedience flowing through love or f- flowing from love. That should be in your notes, sorry. Obedience flowing from love. Which brings right back to what Jesus said to his disciples at the very end of his time on earth. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, I want to be clear. Religion wants to get that the other way around. It wants to say, we love God, too. we love God, so I'm going to just keep his commandments in some slavish way. Or it goes the other way around, actually. God has loved us so that He's changed our heart so that we obey. It's the other way around. Picture with me a parent who gives his child a car. The, The child's going off to college, maybe say. The parent gives a child a car when he goes off to college. And you know the typical speech the dad gives to the to the son. Son, check the brakes. Make sure you fill it up with gas. Don't be caught out with no gas. Check the oil. But just picture with me that like, the, ch- the father gives the son this, this car, and he gives him these warnings. Now a son who loves his father, you know what he'll do? He'll obey. He's going he's gonna to check the oil. He's going to check the brakes. And a child who hates his father, what he will do is he will take terrible care of the car. He will run it over all the terrible terrains. He'll never check the oil and then wonder why it's sitting alongside the road Broken down. So, the child we see doing that, we should say he doesn't really love his father. And in the same way, it's true of us. The father has given us the son, he has literally loved us with an unknowable love found in Jesus. And if that does not move your heart, compel your heart to obedience, I think you might need to recognize that the test has failed. Notice what he says in verse 5 and 6. By this, the end of 5, by this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now in your, in your notes I put in front of you, I, I put the word claim. And I want you to change that to knowledge. So here's the knowledge. Notice how he does this, how John does this. So it should be, knowledge, I abide in him. Because if you notice, John doesn't actually say that this person is saying he abides in Jesus. Do you notice that? He's whoever says he abides. So the one person is claiming something. The other person knows it. Here's what he knows. He abides in him. Here's the knowledge. You know what the knowledge is? I abide in him. This is how we know that we know. This is how we can be assured that we're really Christians. We know we are Christians by the way we live. Notice the one who's claiming that they're a Christian. Running around, declaring to everyone, I'm I'm your brother, I'm a Christian. But the one, he says, who abides, he knows. And Jesus, in, in John 15, he says this, he says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear bear more. And he goes on and he says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Hear that last part. Hear this last part. I am the vine. This is Jesus speaking. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, the guy who passes the test, he knows this. He knows this reality that apart from Christ, he can do nothing. The assurance that John is extending to us is an assurance for us to know that we've really come to know. The testing of your life is not simply for you. It's also to encourage you to continue to abide in Christ that flows out into other people. So you know what? Here's just an implication I want this to have for us. Parents, you know what this means for us? It means simply this, is that our walk is significantly more important than our talk. Okay? I know this all too well. You know this to be true. You can tell your child to do something all day long. And it will go in one ear and out the other. Similar to how we know things in the West. It goes in one ear right out the other. But parents, your walk will influence your children significantly more ever than your talk. So if you're talking, you can be talking all day long. yes here's the things of God. Of course, the things of God, yes, yes, yes. Don't watch this. This will corrupt your soul as we watch this ourselves. With you talk, with your talk, you can be leading them to heaven while your walk is leading them to hell. Brothers and sisters, I, I just encourage you with with your children, with your family, with all, all these different things, walk in such a way that when your talk, your talk, you should, you still should be talking. I'm not saying I'm not trying to minimize the job of speaking. It's so important. But your talk must line up with your walk. And by this we know we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And now we see the evidence, the last point you have there. The evidence, the pattern of Christ's life. Thrust of this passage is simple that those who say they live in God must walk as Jesus walked. They must walk as Jesus walked. I loved the question that Jim Boyce he, he brought up. He said this, he said, We may have the feeling of awareness of God, of union with him, but how shall we know such an experience corresponds to reality? He goes on, it is clear that no amount of clearness or strength in the experience itself can guarantee its validity any more than the extreme vividness of a dream leads us to suppose that it is anything but a dream. What he's saying is that no matter your feelings toward God, your feelings in this moment do not matter toward God. You might have the most pleasant of feelings possible toward him, But this passage is getting us to do, do. and what Jim Boyce is bringing out, he says that those feelings are like a dream. Those feelings are like a bad dream if there is no evidence. The way we know our experience is actually lining up with reality is to examine the evidence. That is, keeping God's commands. And the one who obeys God can rest assured that his love for God is being completed and that he is in God. Listen to what Jesus says. We talked about it with the good shepherd. But I want to go back to it real quick. In John 10, you can actually turn there real quick because it's the last passage we'll look at. John 10, Jesus is saying something about himself. That he is the good shepherd. And this is what he says. I am the good shepherd. Here's what he says of his own. This is why we should be assured. You want to know why you should be assured today? If nothing else... Not only that we ought to walk in that way, but know this. This is what he says of us. I am the good shepherd. That's Jesus speaking. I know my own. What a thought that you sitting there, you and me, as Christians, if we see our walk and we see that we're walking in step with him, this is what he says. I know my own. That the Lord Jesus himself knows us. And my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And he goes on and he says, I lay my life down for the sheep. The evidence of the Christian is, are they listening to the shepherd? Are we listening to the shepherd? Are we walking in such a way that we are walking in obedience to him? Now, this is not perfection. Again, we've seen this in 1 John. If, you've, if you need questions about perfectionism, go back to what we talked about the other couple weeks. Part of knowing the shepherd is listening to the shepherd. I love what John Calvin said. He he said this. He said, "Now he calls us also to Christ, to imitate him." This is what John's calling us to. He says, "Yet he does not simply exhort us to imitations of Christ, imitation of Christ, but from the union that we have with him, proves we should be like him." He's saying that the union that we have with Christ, that the union that we know him and he knows us, will produce in us fruit. That whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now you should have seen, we've talked about the assurance that comes from testing. Now You should test your life and be assured that you know him. And then we looked at the test failed, and we looked at the test passed. And I just encourage you, don't be like the person who says, don't don't touch the rust spot. Don't touch the rust spot. It'll poke holes in it. We don't want to see the holes. Don't, Don't do that. Be like the one who tests the rust spots to see that I know him. And as you see, I know him, deep, abiding joy is offered, is extended to you. May you know that joy today. So we're going to take communion today, and I want us to move into a time of communion. But before we do so, um, so we're going to do something just a little bit different, same thing as we did kind of last time. It's different from the normal, but it's the same thing we did last time. So what we'll do is I want you to take a moment of reflection, a moment of response, and then we're going to close, and then I'm going to actually open up communion for us. And then we can come, we can take, not take communion yet, but grab communion, And then before Sunday school, we're going to take communion together.